When you're secretly dreaming of starting your own business as a passionate crafter, how do you know what questions to ask? Where do you start? And once you get going, how do you then again know how to answer the big questions? What strategies do I follow? Where do I go from here? What do I invest in? You're listening to A Smaller Life Podcast, where we focus on learning from small businesses in the fiber and needlecraft industry, how we can run our own businesses and stay balanced and connected to our values. I'm Saskia de Feiter, and this is an hour-long episode with Lee Metcalf. Lee is the owner of Top Stitch Makers Social Community, an online sewing community where you can improve your sewing skills through sew-alongs, live talks, social sessions, courses, and you'll become part of a thriving online indie garment sewing community. Lee is a needlecraft professional who's not afraid to take things as they come and learn on the job. She shares with us how she started her business and talks us through her decisions along the way, from lease contracts to moving locations to how she decided what products to sell, the importance of protecting yourself from overwhelm, the importance of a mailing list to reach your audience, in what ways you can hire extra help, and how she eventually ended up closing her sewing studio and moved everything online. This episode is gold for beginning businesses and those that are dreaming of starting one. So take your notebook and your pen and write down all these golden nuggets that she will be sharing with us, or go to the show notes and find them there. Hi, my name is Saskia. I've got over a decade of experience in running a small business in the needlecraft industry, selling, pattern and product design, teaching and running a needlecraft school. As a small business owner, you're in charge of everything, branding, marketing, selling, promoting and cleaning the loop. I'm educated in marketing and photography and learned to do everything else on the job. I'm obsessed with the healing magic of crafting and the power of community. And I'm determined to lift our scene up for the world to notice so they can step away from fast fashion. In a smaller life, we learn from experts in the needle craft, textile and creative industry, big names and small, about what it's actually like to run a small business. Emotional talks with sellers about wins and woes, product and design, conscious decision-making and branding, and communication. Why we do it, how we do it, and what we need to become the future of fashion without burning the hell out. A Smaller Life fights apathy and apparel and aims to inspire you to look at your wardrobe differently. Where do you buy? How do you use your clothes? And can you make some of it yourself? Dreaming big about a world where we rely on value-based businesses, the kindness economy, and where we can fully say, fuck fast fashion. A Smaller Life is Yamol's completely free way for makers and sellers to learn how to be part of a healthier take on clothes and fashion. Yamol offers an online community where they can connect and inspire each other. Monthly topics with challenges for makers and coaching and support for sellers. We will move the needle. For more information, go to ja-wol.com. Yavol! Quickly, before we go into the interview with Lee, 
I wanted to invite you into our new free space in the community, yavolcommunity.com. You can go there and join us in the conversation around creating our conscious wardrobes. It's a free space within the bigger community, and you're welcome there to share everything you make, the questions you might have around creating your clothes more consciously. Hang out with people that like the same things and that are welcoming and caring and have so much inspiration and information to give. I'd love to see you there. Yavolcommunity.com. Here's Lee. Lee, I'm so happy that you're here. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You are running a community and I'm in that community and I love it. Can you tell me a little bit more about it? Yes. So it's an online community for garment sewers and we have live virtual sew-alongs. We meet with guests of the community to learn what they do. I try to bring people together to learn a variety of things. So, you know, that is to say that my community is not about me and my brand, but about trying to share other perspectives and other skills so that people can level up in their sewing practice. Cool. But it wasn't always the community. There was something else. That's correct. So my business started in 2017, and it started with a small retail shop in my neighborhood. And the idea for my shop was to teach sewing classes and workshops related to garment sewing, but also have products to support the classes. So I never really intended to be a retail shop specifically, but to have products that support the making. We quickly grew. The shop was very small. Even when I started, I knew it was probably too small for what we needed. It was very cozy and people were cutting out on the floor. <laughs> which is not super comfortable when you're trying to cut out your patterns and your fabrics. So I knew quickly I needed to be looking for another space and classes were really busy. So I thought, okay, I have a pretty good shot at this. So I'm going to go ahead and look at some larger spaces. So I put my feelers out and I found a larger space in kind of a tourist destination in Atlanta and it was double the size. Moved there after a year. And for anyone in retail, you might be wondering, okay, you had a lease, how did you get out of this? <laughs> I did sign a three-year lease to begin with, but in my lease terms, I asked the landlord if I could sublet, which was advice given to me by another retailer when we talked about lease terms and what to look out for and whatnot. So I asked him if he would put in a clause that I could sublet it if for any reason I wanted to move on before the three years. And he allowed that. So yeah, that's a good tip. But we moved to a larger space and it was wonderful. It was very busy. I did take on quite a bit more retail products because it was a tourist destination and not everybody's going to walk by wanting to learn to sew a garment, but they might want beautiful thread snips or something crafty or a little cute kit that they can work on while they're like in their hotel traveling or something like that. So I did take on quite a bit more retail and it was great for the two years that I was there. And then in 2020 and spring of 2020, when COVID came, the building shut down for about a month, and this is right at the time when my lease was coming to an end there. I had a short lease in this space, but I was in negotiations with a much larger term lease. But because of COVID, I was like, this this could potentially be financial suicide for me. So I decided not to re-sign a lease there and to go all online. So we had some online workshops. We had just released some of our first online classes like that were studio-recorded classes. And before COVID, I was sort of brainstorming ways that I could make this 
this meaning my business scale. So classes capped at a certain level, which it took me about two years to realize, oh, you can only take on so many people in a class and you can only have so many classes in a month. I can't keep growing classes forever and ever into infinity and make business do better revenue wise. I was trying to figure out how to bring this to more people in a way that made sense for not only my business, but yes. to literally more people, right? To be able to reach more people yeah. and bring them this wonderful skill. And so I started brainstorming that even before COVID and looking at ideas. So right when COVID came, I discovered, you know, a number of platforms that might make sense for a membership community. And the one that kind of struck me the most was Mighty Networks. So I went with having a Mighty Network for my online community. So we moved everything online. We were doing virtual classes at first on our normal shop website. But then we moved them all inside of our membership. And that's what I've been doing since. Yeah. Yeah. So just for those who don't know, my community is also hosted by Mighty Networks. And that is how we've actually met. And I've been partly learning how to sew on Lee's community, the Top Stitch Makers Social Community, and then social is S-E-W. It's been a really fun and loving community. Everybody is so helpful and always wants to give you new ideas to do things and you can ask questions. It's, yeah, I, I really enjoy it. Do you yeah. have a lot of international people there? We do have a number of international people and some of them, a few of them sort of attend things regularly or show up for things regularly. We have one lovely member in Australia and she comes every Wednesday to sip and sew and it's morning her time uh, the next day. <laughs> yeah, She's attended many of our workshops and live sessions with guests. And then we have another member in Australia who's not in the same city, but those two members made an effort to meet each other in person and they met through my community. So things like that to me are like, oh my gosh, that is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, so that has happened a number of times, not just internationally, but some members in the States have met each other in person through the community. So I think that's really wonderful, you know? Yeah, Nothing yeah. Genuine connections, not just online, but they can kind of take it offline. I hear some people say, I don't want to go online. I'm online all day. And uh, that is sometimes not so appealing for people. But in the years of COVID and working full time online, I've built so many friendships and connections and also people that I have eventually met in real life in Europe and, and just traveled even to connect with those people. So I think that real connection and real even friendship can definitely happen in an online community. And it's one of the core values of my business to to actually connect people to each other. What are the main values that you connect to your business mostly, would you say? So I think for me, mine have changed over time from my shop and from my online space. But one of them is like what you just mentioned, making sure that you connect people and bring them a genuine, deeper sense of meaning with each other, not just the connection to you as your brand or the things that you sell, right? but also helping them get more in touch with what they make and why they make it, having a better understanding of where their products come from, what kind of time and experience is invested in in the making of things, right? So that's part of the reason just kind of at the foundation of making your own clothes, like what is at the heart of why we make our own clothes or why we would want to in this day and age where we can 
buy everything cheaper, get it faster. You know what I mean? Things like having sustainable practices, also size inclusivity. We have many members of the Kirby community in our community. For me and our community members, it's really important that we include everyone, not just some people. Yeah. And I think that the sewing community has done much better over time to be more inclusive and extend their, you know, offerings and size ranges. And of course, you know, when we had Top Stitch, the in-person studio, the people who came to us most frequently were ones who couldn't find clothes that fit their body the way they wanted them to. And sometimes that was related to size. Sometimes it was, you know, the shape of their body and whatnot. Ready-to-wear clothing is not necessarily designed for most people, right? For humans, it's designed for pole mannequin type people. I don't know. But that's why people come to us. They want clothes that fit their unique body. So considering values of sustainable practices and why we even make what we make and also being inclusive of people, those are probably two of the bigger ones that mm -hmm. relate to my shop and membership. Yeah. And I could also r relate to changing values when you change your business and grow your business. Values connected to your business are usually overlapping with your personal values. I mean, I think they should be, but maybe that is awesome. me, but partly at least. But where I started selling all natural materials, gradually I learned that some of the natural materials that had a lower price range were not so kind to animals or to people. And in learning more, my values and my, my choices around certain values, the values kind of stayed the same, but my choices in my business changed a little bit. And I think related to that, you know, when you have an in-person physical shop, I feel like there's this interesting conflict of having certain values about stuff and the volume of things in the world and also trying to maintain a business. So yeah. when you have a sewing studio or a yarn shop, fabric shop, you know, it's inevitably and maybe unintentionally more, 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 right? Because, you know, in order to, you know, you have a business, you want to keep the lights on, you want to pay the bills, your customers want things. You can't be like, oh, well, I'm not going to buy anything for two or three months because I want to be more conscientious of the volume of things I am putting into my shop. You know, there's this weird conflict of stuff and the skill to learn the skills to learn the thing. You know what I mean? You need the stuff. Yes. So it's an interesting yes. balance to try to get right as a business owner of, you know, products where they, they're very challenging for the world in many ways, but you also need them for that skill. Even though COVID in many ways is obviously devastating for the world and in many ways for my business, it, I would not have hit a reset button if it had not been presented to me, right? But in many ways, having that reset button in front of me allowed me to kind of shift focus in a different way. So rather than focusing on bringing in more stuff to my shop to sell to more people, I see it as bringing more interesting things to learn to bring to more people and also to bring more people to more people. So for yeah. example, you know, very interesting and unique teachers around the world in, in pre-COVID times, I could not afford to fly them into Atlanta to teach a workshop, right? but I can pay them their reasonable rate to meet them from the comfort of their own home in England or Australia or wherever they may be for an hour with my members. So my members can learn from their experience, their skills, how to incorporate that into their sewing practice 
without sort of straining my own business. So in many ways, that shift from in-person and focusing on, you know, stuff and selling things to selling more genuine connection and things that foster learning, right? Yeah, yeah, and connection. Yeah, completely on a on a parallel track here with you. I, I'm doing exactly the same. And wow. it takes a little bit of adjusting from my customers, but I'm thinking one of the funniest things is that I've been selling them so much stuff and now I'm selling them a way to deal with the stuff that they yeah, are right. and to make good decisions about it. And it, it if you think about it, it's it's like a great business model. <laughs> I know, exactly. And I, I, it's funny, I was thinking of that exact same thing before talking with you today. And that is, you know, I have so many people on my newsletter and so many customers, right? But so many of them came to me for one reason, you know, to purchase products and to potentially take in-person classes. And making that shift to now we're going to do something different has definitely been challenging to help shift your customers thinking also. But I do think for me in many ways, especially for my core customers, they've come along with me. So yeah, I'm happy about yeah. that. Yeah, me too. So did you have a business education? Oh my gosh, no. Ugh. I did not have any business experience at all. And when I say none, I mean none. I worked in a retail shop very briefly, like in the mid-2000s, part-time for like a few hours a week. I knew absolutely nothing. But how my shop came about was, well, I'll back up just a tiny bit. I learned mm -hmm. to sew like in 2006. And I just sewed, you know, cute, fun little things for fun. Clothes to me seemed like this whole next level of sewing that I just felt intimidated by, even though I kind of thought about it, maybe daydreamed about it. And then at some point, it was actually, I was living in London at the time. I was like, okay, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to learn to sew clothes. And I learned to sew it, sew over it when they were open there. And when I made my first dress, it, it literally felt electric to me. I was like, oh my gosh, this is remarkable. Yeah. This is awesome. I'm never sewing anything else again. That didn't really happen. I, I sewed other things again, but I was so excited about sewing. And this was also at a time when I had one small child. I was in a city where I didn't really have many friends. My husband was traveling all the time. So I really connected to sewing, that particular sewing studio, and also people in the sewing community. So fast forward a few years, I moved back to the U.S. And when I moved back, there was not a modern fabric and sewing studio similar to what I was used to in London, where there are so many of them. And I just started brainstorming, well, maybe I could open one. And part of me thought, well, that's ridiculous because I have no idea what I'm doing. I've never worked in retail, but it just kept nagging at me for like months. And then I was thinking, well, maybe I could do it like as a pop-up if I shared a space with somebody who has a creative type of retail outlet. But as I looked into the cost of buying supplies wholesale, many places you had to meet very significant minimums, right? So that didn't really make sense to me either. So as I'm brainstorming this and making lots of notes and whatnot, in my neighborhood, a small shop space came open for lease. And I kept driving by it, like obsessively looking in the windows, like daydreaming what it could look like in there. And I just reached out to the landlord and I said, I have this idea for a sewing studio and fabric shop. And I explained what types of classes I would want to have and whatnot. He's like, oh, this sounds like a wonderful idea for our neighborhood. Yeah, sure. Let's do it. I'm like, what? And he said, just send me your business plan and, you know, I'll have a look over it. And I was like, hmm, business plan, right? <laughs> how do you do that? 
I Googled how to write a business plan. And I was like, oh God, I really don't want to write this. I don't know how to write. So I took a brief class on how to write a business plan. Found it very boring. It was not what I wanted to be doing. But I rang up my landlord because this course said it needs to be at least like 45 pages long. And it has to have this, this, and this in it. And he said, please don't hand me anything that's 45 pages long. He said, I want to know on paper what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, and how you're going to pay for it to start with. I said, okay, I can do that. So that's what I did. <laughs> that's that was um, so much Basically, I just put everything in a spreadsheet with the help of my very spreadsheet-minded husband. But thankfully and thoughtfully, he helped me do this. I put something together for this nice landlord, presented it to him, and he said, all right, let's do it. But then right before I was going to sign the lease, like in the days leading up to it, I I was getting very, very cold feet and my husband was away on a business trip and I called him. It was very late at night and I said, I just can't because I have no idea what I'm doing. And he said, nobody knows what they're doing until they just do it. It's like climbing a mountain. You don't look up, you don't look down. You look at the step in front of you. You have the top in mind, you know how to get down, but you focus on the step in front. And I'm like, yes, this is like late night motivational chat with my husband. And I was like, I'm going to try to do it. So I just signed that thing. But then right after I signed it, I was like, oh, gosh. And I'm thinking of things like, what's a PO? P-O. Do I need to know what that word means? Googling purchase order. I'm like, hmm, I should probably know what that means. Oh, my gosh. Nothing. When I say I knew nothing, I mean nothing. But But how did you figure it out? Because there's marketing. There's how do you know how much money to put, how much products to buy? All of the questions. How did you figure it out? Oh, my gosh. I don't know that I figured it out. Well, I did reach out to a few shop owners and asked a number of questions. One person said, I don't share any of that type of information with people because it was hard-earned for me, and I just don't share it. I was like, okay. And then some other people said they're happy to give tips, advice for getting started and doing all the things, but they charge X consulting fee. Now, there was one other person who wrote me the most thoughtful email I I think one of the most thoughtful emails I've ever had in my life where she laid out, you know, a whole bunch of different things to think about and consider when you're getting started. And that email to me was golden. And she did it just from the kindness of her heart. And she didn't tell me the specific nuts and bolts of like how to buy things and things like that. But she told me very important things for like negotiating a lease and tax stuff and like all these things you don't necessarily even know to think about. So that was super helpful to me. And that's one of my greatest lessons is to ask questions. You don't ask. The answer is always no. But if you ask, you might get a yes, right? (laughs) You might get what you need out of that conversation. But I've asked a lot of people a lot of questions and some people would thoughtfully share bits and pieces, right? So I stitched together bits and pieces of what I thought I needed. But Mm -hmm. at the core of it, I knew I wanted to have classes. I knew what types of classes they were going to be. I knew I wanted my shop to be specific. A number of people came to me and said, oh, you should carry needlepoint kits. You should carry yarn. You should carry, I don't know, everything but crafty things, right? Mm -hmm. And I would politely say to them, you know, in some way or another that I wanted to be very specific because if you try to be everything to everyone, you unintentionally become nothing to nobody. nobody. So I wanted the people who wanted to learn to sew clothes, it'd be very clear to them, this is the place for you. This is where you can learn. This is your kind of home, right? Mm. Um, plus, I also knew it was going to be a very small shop and I could only carry so many things. And yeah. going alone already has a gazillion things. So I tried to also be focused on who my customer was, right? Yeah. 
So, and then I also, you know, looking at London and the shops that I loved and the ones that seemed popular and do well, I mean, I picked apart what was on those shelves, like in my mind, even though I was already living back here, when I was living there, I also wrote part-time for craft and lifestyle magazines, like Molly Makes was one of them. And I wrote a guidebook to London's fabric and knitting shops when I was living there. So that was sort of like a primer for my experience. Like I took the photos for the book. I interviewed the shop owners. And at that time, I didn't think or have in mind, oh, one day I'm going to have a sewing studio. But then I was like, wow, this is actually a reference for the things that I need, right? Mm. So I looked back at, you know, what they carried. And I kind of went back and thought about what they said were some of their most popular classes or most popular products. And I kind of reverse hacked it in that way. <laughs> yeah. what, what I needed to buy or what I should focus on or what types of classes I should have. Yes. That was actually a really useful resource to me. But honestly, what it comes down to for me getting started was asking a lot of questions yes. and also trying to push my fear and insecurity aside. Yeah. Um, when I opened my studio, I was not and I'm still not the best sewer in the world, right? I'm not like, I'm not trained in garment sewing. So I knew I needed to have instructors that were very well, you know, experienced and knew what they were doing, right? Because I came into my own shop as sort of a advanced beginner, sort of bordering on intermediate. So I had to push my own insecurities aside and my, my imposter syndrome. And I just kept telling myself that, it's not that I want to be the expert of this like business or this thing I want to teach, but I want it to be available to other people like it was to me. And if nobody else is doing it here, meaning here in Atlanta, then I want to try to offer this to other people. So yeah, my business experience is me asking people questions, reading books, you know, and actually before I started my business, the thought of reading a business book made me squirm. Like I could feel my skin crawl. Like, yeah. you know, I don't want to touch a business book. I don't want to read a business blog. Yeah. I'm like, yuck, that's boring. <laughs> and it takes so much time as well. Yeah. But almost as soon as like I signed my lease, I started reading them and listening to podcasts. And I started geeking out on them in a way I was not expecting at all. <laughs> so I actually really enjoy that now. That's, that's the whole where... reason I started the business circle is what you are describing, getting that time back as a as a starting business owner and just focusing on the things you actually really need. And that's why the business circle program is there so that you don't have to like ask so many questions, read so many books. I mean, I enjoyed the process for myself, but it also was a lot of time involved and, and I was I was burning out at one point like trying to 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 know everything and do everything and it's like I'm hearing myself talk when I'm yeah. listening to you and not yeah. only that but you probably experienced this too it's lonely when you're it is like very your, lonely. Own, your own retail shop owner it's really lonely to like be inside of your own head and swirling with like should I be doing this should I be doing that yeah because as the owner of the shop you know, even if you like and respect your employees, you have to have a balance slash boundary of, you know, hey, guys, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. What should I do? <laughs> you can't really always say that. I mean, there are times when you, of course, you can or you can talk to them in a way where you want their input and their advice. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like your your shop, your vision, your mm -hmm. money on the line. 
And yeah. you don't have to like have things hopefully in place where you present it to your employees as this is what I would like to do. This is my vision. This is what we you are going to do. Uh, but, but you can't say to them, oh my gosh, I'm so lost in my QuickBooks because of this thing that just fell apart. You know what I mean? There's, it's like yeah. you need to find people you can talk to that support you that aren't necessarily the people who are in your shop space, right? Yeah. If you want to build or grow your business in textile crafts, why don't you join our online community for the small monthly contribution of only 10 euros, which is basically $10-ish. You get to hang out, learn from, and share your business and your personal craft journey with all the lovely people there. Support the podcast at the same time, and you get everything wrapped into one loving package. I would love to welcome you there. Go to patternshift.fm and click community. And while you're there, Sign up for our emails so you'll never miss a thing. Do you work with a team at the moment or do you do things by yourself? For my online community, it's mostly me. I do have a lovely woman who hosts our Sip and Sews and she's in our community. You know, she cheers things on and likes and posts and whatnot. So she's a moderator, essentially. She's a wonderful part of our community and then that's jasmine and then carrie teaches classes and she's been with top stitch since the beginning she was essentially the second employee and she was the class manager through the years of my in-person shop she's also a textile artist and makes her own textiles produces her own textiles or has them produced now she's a block printing artist so she has her own thing going on too but she instructs most of our virtual solongs and then I instruct some of them. And then we have special guests who either host workshops or who sort of guest teach now and then. But when my shop was in person, I had up to nine people at in, at like the, the peak. Wow. Um, two of them were full time and then the rest were part time. So it was and mainly that was due to the size of the shop and also the hours it needed to be open. I was required to be open seven days a week. And it was open from 10 in the morning till nine at night at station oh because it's like a tourist building. It's a like historical building in Atlanta and it's a tourist destination. So it was just sort of the requirements of the building. So that's a lot of time to be staying open. So that's the main reason. But for me with, with employees slash help with my in-person shop and just in general, I feel like I got very, very lucky. The first two people that I hired were just golden and I could not have been more grateful. And it was just, it was luck that Carrie and it was someone named Brittany and Brittany has her own pattern line. And to me, like when I think about it, I was like the plane, like I built the <laughs> the body of the plane and Brittany was the engines and Carrie was the wings. <laughs> yeah. And this plane would have nef- never left the gate if it wasn't for them. Both of them, you know, they complemented each other well. They were, they would always go above and beyond what was required of them in many ways. And, and they're, they're extremely talented, much more talented than me, smarter than me <laughs> in, in many ways and in the ways that I needed, right? So yeah, that's another thing. I wasn't afraid and I'm still not afraid to hire people. I want people to be better than me at many things or better yeah. in different ways because I need that, right? Yeah. So I, I got very lucky with that and I still feel quite lucky. I haven't really had many challenging employee challenges you know what I mean yeah yeah that's good and and do you do you outsource some things like just for 
one or two hours or like not employees, but just getting somebody to do, I don't know. Like, oh, yeah. So I've, I discovered the beauty of Fiverr about a year ago, which is if you're not familiar with Fiverr, I'm not sure how best to describe it. But if you need something done, like businessy tasks, you can potentially hire someone in a number of different places around the world and you can search by you know, their reviews or where they are or what their skills, you know what I mean? Yeah. I've hired like a, a video editor to edit some short videos and she did a wonderful job and I've hired someone to do Google ads for me there before because tinkering around in the background of Google ads, I found to be a little bit confusing and it's not really something I want to do. That's so energizing. Yeah. So that's another thing is like, if there are things you don't want to do, yeah. You know, don't beat yourself up about it, right? If you can outsource it for a reasonable price that you're comfortable with, then just outsource Go it. Go ahead, yeah. You don't have to it, learn all the things. If you no. don't want to or you don't find it valuable to the core of what you need to be doing. But So I'll outsource little things like that. And then I guess it was in the second year of my business. I'm not very spreadsheet-minded, and it's kind of one of my regrets for my business, not taking a number of classes related to very fundamental aspects of how to use a spreadsheet when I was first getting started because it really is so important. I think napkin math is, it's kind of how I did math to begin with. Like, oh, this costs me this. I will make this. But it's not until you get into the nuances of how much things really cost or how much mm -hmm. you'll really earn or bring in when, unless you're using a tool that's really actually useful. So I guess it was two years into my business. I hired a lovely woman who is like a spreadsheet genius and she does modeling for businesses. And she modeled a bunch of things for me, such as, you know, how much do classes really cost? So for example, I thought my classes were bringing in X based on X. And she said, well, you're not looking at X, Y, and Z, the cost of, you know, the thread, the servicing, the machine, the use of, I don't know, tracing paper, like all these things that I just ignored because they didn't seem like very much. Well, servicing the machines is actually a significant chunk, but a lot of little things actually add up to be a good bit, which it wasn't until she showed me in her models how much of a difference that really makes to pay attention to things that I thought were like minutiae, right? Yeah. So I have hired someone to do that. I have an accountant who works with a bookkeeper. I do my own QuickBooks, but every month I turn in my paperwork to them, my QuickBooks and then other paperwork receipts or, you know what I mean? Like things like that. Yeah which is much less now that I don't have my shop open, but they kind of produce a packet that they give to me every month, which has like my balance sheet, all, all this kind of things. And then at the end of the year, when it's time to do taxes, they've set themselves up essentially for success by the relationship that we have or the way their business is modeled. And they can just do my taxes very easily based on what I've turned into them throughout the year. Yeah, and that's the bulk of what I outsource, I guess. So basically choosing the things that don't give you energy, that you don't feel like you want to spend a lot of time learning how to do it, and then focusing your own hours that are more expensive in a way to the things that really light you up, that you are good at the reason that you started doing this. Right. And things, you know, that I don't have expertise in and that I don't want to screw up like tax stuff, right? Right. I'm not, yeah. not going to you know, dive into accounting really. <laughs> I just had an interview with accountant Jillian and it's coming. It will be live once this episode goes live. 
And that was very, very insightful. So if you're listening now and you feel like you want to learn more about accounting, we have an episode with Jillian Cocky about this. I've got exciting news. I've invited Lee from Top Stitch Makers to teach a class in our community. I'll let Lee explain. This workshop is about the Me Made Magnet Method, which is a method I've come up with for wardrobe planning. So the method is basically a way of getting in touch with what's already in your wardrobe, what's in your closet, and being intentional about the way you get dressed. And what we do is we will make magnets, actual physical magnets of our own clothing that help you find gaps and possibilities in your wardrobe. We will do that together. The workshop will be held on March 8th in the Yavel online community. Sign up via asmallalive.com and find the link to the workshop in the show notes. And so your days, do you have like systems, planning, goals, or do you just like feel what kind of energy you have and see whatever comes out of your heads? Where are you on that scale? Well, I have goals such as like how many members I would like joining in a certain period of time, that type of goals. And then I'll have goals for like what I want, what maybe I want to achieve for the week or something like that. But generally what I do is I write it down in a notebook. And in the past, I have been very, very scattered as to what tool to use. So I went through, I don't know, a couple of years of going between writing things down or using something like Trello or Basecamp. But I found challenges with both in regards to like keeping myself organized. So sometimes, you know, I feel like I'm much more inclined to want to write things down. But then if I don't have my notebook with me, I feel so naked. And then I'm like, okay. So I, I kind of use a balance of the two. I use like something like Google Keep on my phone for when I'm thinking about things. I need to get it out of my head and write it down. And then I put it in my notebook, which I've used planners in the past, but I've felt that most planners don't sort of suit what I want to write down or what I'm thinking about. So now I have kind of a blank planner that I sort of lay out bullet journal style loosely. It's really basic, but as far as organization goes, I use Trello, Google Keep, and a notebook. And I kind of toggle between them for different reasons for different things. I have goals that are related to, like I said, you know, getting new members to be interested in my membership. And then I might have, uh, it's more, I don't really think of them as goals, but tasks like for each day. And so before I go to bed, I've been trying to write down things. Okay, what do I, what is the most important that I need to achieve tomorrow? And then maybe at the end of the week, I'll look over the week and what is the most important things to me to achieve the next week? And I try mm -hmm. to have consistency with some things such as Every week, I'm going to post X amount of events in my community. Every week, I'm going to schedule questions and polls. Or every week, I'm going to draft, you know, X amount of newsletters, that type of thing. So yeah. the things are kind of regular and I don't really have to think about them. But I do feel like now that my shop isn't open, I'm much more focused. I'm the type of person I'd prefer to focus on one or two things at a time. And when you own your own shop, especially if it's busy, especially if it can't be closed at all yeah. during the week. <laughs> I was a bit what I call pinball brained there in my own shop because I always felt like at any given time there are, you know, 50 tasks that I can't get to. Yeah. Even if I had wonderful employees who were, you know, more than happy to do their job and more than happy to go above and beyond what needed to be done, it always seemed like there were so many like little, little, little things. When you carry literally a lot of little tiny products, 
There are a lot of little tiny things related to them. Photos. Yes. The, the Let's bark get into this. Picture. This is right, interesting. Let's do it. I want to get into this because I was the same. And one of the reasons that I closed my shop was because my mind, my pinball brain, was was not dealing with it very well anymore. So I tried to work in the basement of the shop so, so that I could focus on marketing, branding, buying things, all of that that doesn't happen on the floor. But then somebody would come in when they're like, is Saskia there? And then I would always be pulled out from the basement to then have like this hour-long conversation about things that were interesting person to person, but not for my business. And so now, now that we are both in like the, the luxury position where you have an online business and you have all that office time, I was craving office time, but our, our colleagues in the field that still run their shops, how can they kind of get out of that? How can they make decisions differently so that they are not constantly putting out fires and coming into the door and going like, oh, I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. Oh my gosh. I am, we, we, we have the exact same experience and I am weird. Yes. So I would go into my shop and I would have this look on my face and I, I, I've never asked my employees what they think about this, but I know I would have this look on my face like, don't talk to me. <laughs> Because I would every day I would go in and I know I have X amount of hours, which for me wasn't a lot because I have two small children. And that's another that's a whole nother can of worms we can talk about too. It's either it's either you pay someone to nanny your children or you pay someone to be in your shop. So we can yes. get back we can come back to this later. But I knew I only had so many hours in my shop. I had so many tasks in my head that I I would pick out like two or three what I thought were significant things, like I have a chunk of time, I'm going to do a chunk of this one thing. I would have those things in my mind and written down whatever to go in my shop. And then I get in there and it's like, you know, a customer wants to talk. They want to ask you, when are you going to get this? The phone rings, the computer beeps, management comes in, your employees are there and they want to ask questions or chit chat or talk. And then Ooh. you cannot get anything. Done. <laughs> Nothing. Done. So after like a year of this, I'm like, okay, this isn't working for me to do anything inside of my own shop. So I started working in my shop only two days a week. Well, three on Tuesdays and Thursdays and then one weekend day. And in my mind, I told myself I'm not going to do any worky stuff while I'm in there, which sounds kind of crazy. And it actually didn't work out very well. But I told myself I'm not going to print barcodes. I can someone else can be doing that. I'm not going to. Be taking pictures, someone else can be doing that. I'm just going to talk to customers. I'm just going to enjoy the shop. I'm just going to get back to the heart of why I'm even doing this thing. Yeah. Most of the time that didn't happen for me, but it did help to only be there two or three days a week and do the work work at home. Because for a while, I'm like writing checks in my shop. I'm like trying to write newsletters and there was no place to hide. There was no back office. We were never closed. So I had to do all that sort of publicly in front of people and, and, and when my brain is also scattered at the same time. So it was really challenging. But finding a balance of time and space, those are the, were the two most important things to me is separating the worky things from being in the shop. And to me, if I did this again, I would be closed two days a week. One day for me to just have my brain off. Nobody's there. I don't have to worry about any customers. I don't have to worry about a fire somebody sewing their finger, nothing. And, and, then, and then the other day to be in my shop quietly, 
I can count inventory if I need to, or I can take pictures by myself. I can write checks by myself if I want to. So you don't yeah. have to do all that worky stuff in front of people. Or, But at that time, I couldn't be closed two days a week. But that's what I would do if could do it again. I would yeah. have one day totally to myself to clear my head, be with my family, mm. not worry about it. Because when you have a small business, to me, it always felt like a little baby that I wanted to be taken care of, even if I knew other people could take care of it. And they were Yeah, that's the difficult part. Yes. And even though I and even when I was home or off, it always felt like in the back of my mind, like someone else is taking care of it when I wanted to be the one taking care of it. Right. But you can't you just can't do all the things you can't. It's just too much. And too much. as we've established, we and by we, I mean, every creative needle craft fiber business owner in the world. I think none of us are educated in all the different aspects of what it means to be a business owner. Because even if you do have a business education, there's marketing, there's branding, there's leading a team. There's like every, every, every aspect. Like there's different business educations, right? The school's where you get all of that. But then they don't focus on value-based business owning or marketing or all of the things that we come across while we're running our business. So it's right. too and, and most of most people I feel like are like us that come into creating 20 jobs for yourself or more that you don't know how to do. Yep. That you have to learn once the plane is taken off, which yep. is not the best way to fly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But it has to be done. Once the ball gets rolling, you that yeah. ball needs to keep rolling. So you just have to figure it out. And I think that's what really propelled me when you asked, like, how did you like do what needed to be done? I felt like I didn't really have a choice. Like I just true just putting one foot in front of the other till you figure things out. But but so much wasted energy along the way. I think. I mean, if I had to do things differently right now, well, that's what I'm teaching in the business circle. I'll be focusing on specific things. Like you don't have to have a full marketing education. You don't have to have that full library of, of business books about time management. Right. I agree. Things. If you if you have some fundamentals in place before you get started, you will yeah. be much more prepared. Even f- for someone like me, like I used Shopify for my same OS, which I very much liked and I still like. Same. Uh, but it was like it wasn't like a year or two until I was like, oh, there's a tool that can tell me when I'm out of things. <laughs> Duh. You know what I yeah. mean? Like even, even just knowing something as basic as that yeah. when you started. There are so many very basic things that can dramatically change how Absolutely. you And I'm like, oh, right. I could have been getting a notification every time I'm out of something and it could have been helping me order it. Instead, I'm like wandering around like a lost cat trying to figure out what I'm out of. A lost cat with a pinball brain. Yeah, I have images. Yeah. And, and the thing is, what you talked about earlier is also so true that even though there's people around you 24 7 and you you sometimes feel like i need to get away from these people you are very lonely as a business owner it is continuously conversations in your head and questions and when you have somebody else that uses that same platform you can ask how do you use it and how all those kinds of questions can be super valuable and this is by chance also how lee and i how we are communicating right now with some other people around our our social communities and it's so valuable but what sometimes happens is that 
businesses are afraid to share their quote unquote secrets. Yes. And learning and learning from each other over competing with each other. So I think the key to that for, you know, us, you know, you and I and the people that we meet with about our communities and, and your business circle, I imagine, too, is finding people who are happy to share their knowledge and insights regardless of having a similar business. I mean, I feel like if we share information with each other, it makes all of us better. Absolutely. It doesn't make us, it doesn't, I'm not like, you're not taking away all my customers because I helped share some insight with you on how to use Shopify or <laughs> how to, you know, negotiate a lease or something like that. I feel like we can all benefit from each other. I am, I am so on team. Let's share that because of what you can gain from each other. I just feel like it does, it does, it does you a disservice. If you don't share, because if you do, it comes back to you. You know what I mean? Like tenfold. If you are, if you put that out in the world and you're willing to give what you know and your insights and whatnot, it's going to come back. Yeah. Um, Circling back to that email that you got from that person that just was so generous with her tips. And it doesn't take away from the fact that we both want to earn a living with some of that same information. But there's a place and a time to 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 share and to come together and to there's what I've learned is how many people are there in the world? How many crafters are there in the world? How many do I actually need? How many of my programs, my memberships and whatever do I actually need to sell to have an income that makes me feel good? That is yeah. good enough for me. Not that many. Do you have an ideal customer? Who's your audience? Do you use specific branding tactics or how do you reach your audience? What's your plan? Um, so I definitely have what I would call an ideal customer or member. And I can picture her. I know who she is because, you know, I've had my shop for quite some time. When I first opened my shop, if you would ask me who my ideal customer is, I would have described someone totally different. She would have been young, maybe in her 20s or 30s. She she probably would have been, she would have been much different than who she actually is. But my ideal customer, I actually saw it take shape by having my shop. So now I understand better who that person is for my membership. And I see the people who participate the most, the, you know, who engage the most. So it, it's it's actually reflected back to me. Like I haven't, I haven't really had to go and figure it out, but she's probably in her 50s to 60s. Now I'm describing some of the people who are the most active in my community and also who are what I call my biggest and best longest customers. She's in her probably late 40s to mid 60s. She's a professional. She has a professional career. She may have a couple of children. She is not, and this one was very interesting to me to figure out over time. She's not like an Instagrammer, an influencer-y type of person. She's not one of the stars of the sewing community. If she has an Instagram account, There's probably hardly any pictures of her, maybe one or two. She might share what she makes and that's about it. Or, you know, some travel or something like that. She's definitely a woman. I keep saying she. She probably has challenges finding clothes that fit her. And she wants to make and wear clothes that she finds suit her body. And she wants to feel good about herself and feel confident and secure in her own skin. Even though she may be a professional she has the time to, you know, invest in her hobby and she's willing to spend the money to take classes and whatnot. 
So yeah. that's kind of like who I have in mind is my ideal customer. And I can like picture her perfectly and, you know, things like that. I can do too now. <laughs> yeah. And it takes yeah. a while to get to that point. I mean, like I said, for me, I had the benefit of like having a shop for a while and it kind of presented itself to me. But I also had to do some work to like really think about like who this person at the core of who they are, like what gets them excited. The other thing is, is some of my most active members or most you know, biggest fan type customers are ones who came to me first. It's kind of like they came to me as beginners. And it's kind of like when you have your first love and you just stick with that first love, you don't go dating other people. The people who came to my community first or to Top Stitch first, there's a core group of them that have like stuck around, right? Yeah. That's one aspect of them too, is them discovering me early in their own sewing journey. So that's my ideal customer. What was your other question? Sorry, it went out of my head. (laughs) how do you reach them oh how do I reach them okay so there's another benefit of having a shop first is I have a newsletter of a couple thousand people and I I just have a few hundred members so there's still lots of opportunity with people who engage with my newsletter now for quite some time I I let my newsletter kind of be a wilted flower because I wasn't really sure how to transition from hey, we have these new products, these new cool gadgets. These are our new in-person classes to now we have a membership. And I did write to my newsletter for quite some time about my membership, but I kept feeling like I was just saying, hey, we have this membership, join us. Hey, we are doing these cool things in our membership, come join us. And it was just really repetitive and really boring. (laughs) So I was really struggling to figure out like how to talk to them in a new way, especially when they're used to hearing about products and hearing about in-person classes. So I kind of let it go by the wayside for quite some time. And then, I don't know, something just triggered in me where I'm like, okay, I have all these people who used to be very engaged on my newsletter with, you know, open rates and click rates and whatnot. So they're obviously interested uh, to some degree. I want to get them back interested and also learning online. So it's only been in the last couple months that I've really been trying harder to sort of reignite their interest. So that's one way, my newsletter, which I already built up from having a shop. Another way is Instagram. I'm pretty active lately, at least on posting in my stories using my link tree, which we had a a free wardrobe planning event where more than 100 people registered in, or they more than 100 people actually attended. And I used my link tree and my Instagram for like posting regularly about this event with the link to sign up. And a lot of people came from that. So I use that. And then what else do I use? I have a a lead magnet on my website, which is for a free pattern. It's to make a cute little zipper clutch. So if you sign up for our newsletter, you get the free pattern. And then every now and then I offer to those people on my newsletter a free workshop to make that pattern. And that's kind of a way to not only give them like a fun, useful project to do for basically free, but also to introduce them to me and our community and what we do, right? So that's another way trying to use my website as that kind of tool. And I think that's about it. So there's a lot of still enclosed opportunities in your newsletter. Um, So that's something that you can still build out. And and it's really hard if you're used to, I don't even want to call it a newsletter as much anymore as, as it's more of a mailing list and what I'm sending is sometimes a newsletter but sometimes it's something else and I'm trying to focus on sharing things that are inspiring around my whole mission 
uh, to, to find like a line in there, like a red line in there. Well, do you have to? I don't know. I, it needs to be inspiring and in- interesting, but it's a different way of communicating with people than just saying, oh, we've got this new fabric or look at this yarn and this is sustainable choice of the year. And yeah, it's, it's, it's just totally a different, different way of communicating with people. So not only do you have to get you meaning me or anyone who wants to, but have to get better at like communicating the more inspiring aspect of what it is that you do. But also for me, it's showing them the value of the membership in a way that they can, it can kind of click. Yeah, my membership like yours is behind a wall, right? Yeah. It's not like a Facebook group where you can, that's open where you can just see everything and see the conversations. Mm -hmm. So in mine, I'm trying to give them peaks and snippets and real value of like what you're going to get if you come all the way inside, right? Maybe sharing one of our older workshops that I already have a recording of or sharing tutorials or other things or snippets with live special guests. So they see that you know, there's real action going on behind the wall. And it's just like anything else in life, though. You kind of have to show up for it in order to get the value from it. Yeah, um, and that's particularly true for communities compared to social media. Because in a community, it's all about sharing and receiving in, in almost equal amounts. Like, of course, you can be a lurker in a community, but you won't get as much out of it. And it, it is it is a decision you make. Do I want to be engaging in this and, and connect with people? It's almost like we're not used to it anymore because of social media. It's just like sending out, like, here's a heart. Here's a burning fire. Here's like the 100% emoji and yep. like throwing it at people, but not actually engaging. Although some businesses really do have a live direct, direct message thing going on. Uh, for me, I think the community is where people can safely be themselves. And I think when you talked about your ideal customer, and I could picture them because I actually know who they are, but mm-hmm. I also know that they are showing themselves within the community. Whereas you said on social media, they might not show themselves as much. Yeah. But a community, is, especially if it's gated, and that's also one of the reasons that we have memberships, I think. I mean, for me, part of that is because I can keep it safe. And recently, I've opened a free space, which is just one small space that acts like it's social media. And I get the people a little bit closer to the community. They can kind of see what's going on, but not really. And I'm trying out if that, if that is helpful. Yes, but I do yeah. want to offer that safe and welcoming and warm space that is actually quite the opposite of social media. Right. Yeah. Not just the opposite of social media, but I think a lot of, of content creation in general, what we are trying to achieve, right? Yeah. So, and and the the average person is not necessarily used to this sort of idea of community. I don't think, I kind of think people loosely and very broadly use that word. They think if you're on someone's newsletter, you're part of their community. If you're part of their social media, you're part of their community. In some ways, yeah, you are. But community to me and to you in the way that we think about it with our Mighty Network is it's, it's something much different, more in tune with like each other and gaining value from each other, like you were just saying. And one example that I give of my own community to try to explain this to people is as the voice of like the brand, the thing or whatever that I sell, I'm not trying to pitch you on like my thing, my patterns, my whatever. 
I'm not blasting out my content about my thing. But one example is, you know, instead of me saying, hey, I've got this blog post about my three favorite tools. These are my three favorite tools and here's why. And people like comment or, you know, maybe they like. Instead, I say, hey, you guys, what are y'all's favorite, you know, household tools that could be used as a sewing tool? And they start sharing like all these crazy wild things. And the comments are fun. They're learning from each other. It's not me as like some content master on some pedestal, you know, blasting down to them. This is my, this is what I think. This is what you should know. This is what you should learn. Okay, now go about your day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So yeah, and I I love to be in like um, offering the space and organizing the space, but not being like the star of the show. Uh, That's weird when you have a podcast. But even here, although I do have a conversational style podcast where I am talking a lot as well, but that's because we're talking with each other, quality, exactly. And it's kind of the same, the same thing. Like you're together you're figuring something out we don't have all the answers but we have some of them and somebody else has some other answers and instead of like just throwing it into the world into this void of everything you are sharing it with people that you are getting to know and for that reason i would never want to have this huge huge community and if that would happen i would kind of bundle it up in smaller groups probably there's always that going back to your mission the vision that you have for what what the world should look like and your mission of of your your part in getting there always going back to that and and working from that and more than anything for myself and probably for you too I want my members to get a lot of value you know what I mean and learn and actually make genuine connections and come away with something that they, that's really touched them or like affected them or, you know, they made some, they produced something. Right. But not not just not just them gaining value in that way, but also having it make sense to me as a business. Yeah, because also like you and some people listening, if you're in retail, you may know that retail can be a bit of a, a financial treadmill. And the more you buy, the more you have to sell. The more you sell, the more you have to buy. And there are nuances to like making your profit work. But with the profit margins being so narrow, you know what I mean? With the type of supplies we tend to sell. Unless you plan to be like Amazon or something and you figure out the mastery of taking over the world. Is it? The struggle is real. (laughs) And when you can can kind of like put, put those things on a shelf, you know, kind of literally aside. And focus on what really matters to your customer. And or at least for me, what mattered from the start was teaching a valuable skill and how it can transform their lives and the way that they live and the way they feel about their body and their clothes and all these things. And you can do that in a way that makes sense for your life and your time and also, you know, make it reasonable for them, but also make it work for your business financially. To me, I'm like, that's a no-brainer. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's actually really wonderful. I'm a big fan of, you know, a community where you can do that, right? Yeah. Here, here. I'm I'm with you totally. Yeah. It was just like talking to the American me. <laughs> so where can people find you? People can find me at topstitchatl.com. So that's the website for Top Stitch Makers, and you can learn all the information about our membership and what we offer there on our website. Thank you so much, Lee. This was so, so wonderful. I'm happy to talk with you anytime.
Thanks so much.